Hey, what's up, Surf Splendor podcast listeners? David Scales here. Welcome back to the show. Thrilled to be back after just slightly more than two weeks. I was out of town, and Scott and I get into that in the opening of this show. But before we do, just quick order of business, surfsplendorpodcast.com is our website. It's where you get everything that you need to know, everything in reference to this episode, the videos, the links to articles, all of it is there. Um, And then if you listen to this show in iTunes or whatever app you listen to it in, just make sure to rate and review the show. That is all that we ask from you, the listener. We'll keep producing the content as long as we have somebody, you know, sharing it and the show is growing and that is you and the new people that we will have listening next week because of you. We rely on it. All right. I believe that's it for now. Um, Enjoy the show. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Do you actually have paper on you? Oh, okay. I thought you were completely going to wing it. No. No electronics. (laughs) No no pulp and paper. (laughs) Hey, now. Down the line, Surf Talk Radio. Scott Bass, David Lee Scales with you. And it is a... Friday. Friday. March 18th, the day after St. Paddy's Day. And uh, did you consume some green beer last night, David? Not not a drop of alcohol of any color yesterday. Why is that? Uh, You know, I exercise restraint during the week. The weekends get out of control. So, no, not really. I just, not really my holiday. And turns out I'm not a very festive person anyways. No matter what time You are kind of droll. Super droll, dude. That's my MO. (laughs) Um, I'll tell you what, though. It's been a while since we've seen one another. Yes. I spent time um, in the Carolinas last week. That's right. North and South. I have a huge shout out to open the show with. Huge shout out. Huge shout out. Mike Rowe of Hooked Surfboards and his buddy Eric in the Outer Banks. Cool. They were my consummate tour guides. Oh, that's cool. Got to chat about surfing, the show, um, how you can improve your craft as a co-host of a podcast. <laughs> I've got those two. What are their names again? Let me lay into those two. Mike <laughs> and Eric. They're not fans of my... Uh... They they are, actually. They're huge fans, and they were listening to your show prior to you, know, you yeah. and I linking up. Yeah. They were fans of you before they ever knew who I was. But anyways... Um, you know, Mike knew that I was coming out, and so we started emailing. He said he's a fan of the show. He has an amazing Airbnb uh, bungalow that he let me stay in. Cool. And then they just totally were amazing uh, tour guides for the Outer Banks, which, by the way, How I, are the waves? I fe- there was no waves, but the Outer Banks, know, just as killer. a lifestyle, I, know, it's I fell in love. Dude. I, know. I, I really kind of want to relocate there. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, there's no doubt about it. It's there's not a lot of economy there, so yeah. you got to have something kind of involved right there, or you're commuting right? totally. Yeah. And they everybody has multiple jobs, you know. Right. But but also they live kind of like kings. Yeah, they you do. You know, and it's beautiful. The lifestyle is just better. Shh, but don't um, tell anyone. I know. <laughs> so, anyways, Mike uh, he does shape surfboards. Hooked Surfboards is his brand, and cool. so I'll, I'll post a link to his website. Let's get Mike out to the boardroom show. Even yeah, they might come. Not actually. as an exhibitor, but just to sh- come and walk the floor and say hi to the industry and meet everybody. You know, they both want to come, and they were trying to put it together. Um, and they buy stuff. 
materials from WRV over there, and there's guys there that they know you and they've listened to the show and all that sort of stuff. So well, it's all I will. Um, those two gentlemen, you know, we'll, we will comp them tickets if they can find their way out this way. We'll get them into the show for free. So you want to put them up at your place or something? They might need somewhere to stay too. No, <laughs> all my dog beds are taken. They asked me that, and I was like, I don't think Scott would even put me up at his place. Well, you've been to my house. It's, I've got teenage children. Dog, it's there's. It's not going to happen. I know. It's I'm just, just messing. It's crazy. Well, anyway, um, if you're ever on the Outer Banks, not only should you get boards from Hooked Surfboards, but Mike's Airbnb is amazing. I stayed in it. It's a bungalow two blocks from the beach. Um, so I'm going to post a link to the Airbnb listing and Hooked Surfboards on my website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, as a thank you and a shout out. We may be able to get them into my buddy's place in Del Mar, but it's sort of a long shot. Does he to- rent it out on Airbnb too? He does, but I think he's the kind of guy that, you know, if they're just coming in for four days or something, he might just let them crash on the couch. I don't know. I'd have to check with him. Okay. Well, Mike, you heard it. We'll hook it up. Yeah. Right on. So thanks. And how amazing is that, dude? Just in terms of listenership and being able to hook up stuff like this when you travel, it's unbelievable. That is cool. And I had people reach out when I was in Europe too, but it just wasn't going to work out. Um, I had a really tight schedule there, but amazing. So. Well, congratulations! Yeah, on your, on your. Uh, I did a show while you were away. Oh, I'm did sure you? Sure, you didn't listen to it. Thanks for have not you, even checking my website out. Have you ever listened to one Surf Splendor podcast? I have not. Exactly. <laughs> but I should, and it's not because they're not great. Because I know they are. Because I know you. And there's lots of podcasts out there that are great that I should listen to, that we should listen to, that you might be listening to. My old co-host, Jeff Baldwin, got a hold of me and goes, hey, I've been listening to Von Blakey's. Von Blakey, I guess, has a podcast. And Jed Smith. You've probably listened to it, right? It's called Ain't It Swell? Yep. Is it any good? It's okay. Are you just saying that because no, you're trying no. to be nice amongst fellow podcasters? or Not at all. Well, I want to listen to it. Very, I'm sure it's different. It's very stylized, like Byron know. Bay kind of hip. And um, people have recommended it to me, and I've tried to revisit it over the years. And it's okay. You know, it's like some of them are good. Some of just them. Like just like ours. I just Honestly, okay. that's all it is. Yeah, yeah. it's just okay. It's well produced, and the information is. Oh, then is, it's better than ours. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's fine. Yeah. So oh, I'm not like clamoring for it every week or anything yeah. like that. And I don't think they do it weekly. I well, think you know, it's more once a month. Look, you and I have, have spoken a lot about what it is we listen to. Like, I mean, the podcast that I listen to, I listen to the Thomas Jefferson Hour. Yeah. I listen to everything you didn't learn in history class. I listen to things other than surf. Like, I'm inundated with surf. You know, I Completely. want to spread my wings. I listen to podcasts about guitars other interests just as you probably listen to winemaking podcasts and i don't listen to any surf related content really yeah yeah try to avoid it but um that said i think ours is very stylized as well you know and even these guys mike and eric on in the outer banks were saying we talk a lot about southern california swell and what's going on here and they will have pumping swell for a month that we don't comment on. And they're yeah, tripping going, oh my I God, know. it's pumping. And you guys haven't even, but it's just, well, it therein is what it lies is. the, uh, the sort of the angst of the East coast surfer. I mean, that's been the case forever, you know, like that they don't ever get the media coverage that they deserve. Completely. Then came ESM, um, Maz and those guys and Tom Dugan, and they changed that, mm-hmm. you know, and when ESM came along, um, ESM has just been a real blessing to the East coast surf scene. For right. sure, you know. Yeah, totally. So, but at the same time, I don't 
I think there's a lot of that community that's fully okay with not having the spotlight on them. And I and you know what, podcasts are kind of regional. I mean, we talk about where we live and you know our sort of sphere. I mean, we don't touch too greatly on Australia or on Papua New Guinea or on Pohnpei or you know even Hawaii. You know, we just kind of topically touch it. We don't live in it, and so we don't know it that well. And so, who are we to talk about it? Dude, if we were doing a show once a week or every day or something, we'd we have would, to. We would cover all that stuff. Yeah, you know, exactly. We and we would want to. I mean, that stuff interests us too because it's new to us. And you know, totally. And that's why it's rad to have the guys that ain't that swell or ain't it swell doing their thing over there. You know. Yeah. Um, by the way, does Baldy like it? Is he into that show? Um, he he's he he's good friends with Von Blakey. Oh yeah. And okay. so um, he said, yeah, it's a cool show. You know. Yeah, he, he just left me a voicemail. I didn't talk to him, so it wasn't a very lengthy discussion. But it was, yeah, it's like, hey, you should check this out. It's pretty good. I like, yeah, I mean, Von, I like Von Blakey and Jed. I mean, I like their personalities, you know. So there's when you start talking about personalities that that are good broadcasters. I was thinking about this earlier. I don't want to jump ship here and, and change subjects, but I was thinking about guys that would be good for the WSL broadcast. We talk about this a lot, and um. I think Sean Doherty, I know he's got a pretty gnarly um, accent, um, but so what? His, he's so smart. I mean, the stuff he writes, he, he would be such a great color commentator um, relative to, you know, in addition to some of the guys that they have. I just think that there's, there's people that could be um, put into the broadcast that would just add to it. And I think another Australian guy is needed. He's been in the broadcast booth in, previous years not in the booth i mean a color guy like a guy that you basically like yeah sean writes these great articles for i think it's coastal watch right or is it swell i I think it's coastal Watch. yeah whatever it is it's it's a website in australia and he writes these great articles and basically so what i would do if i was the production director of the show is i would just cut to sean and have him give insights into what he wrote about what he just wrote about i see and then leave like you just have him for you don't put him in the box with those guys you don't He's sort of an, um, just an additional voice that brings a, a journalistic quality to the to the broadcast, not just hey man, yeah, the waves are great. Let's cut to him. Hey, you know, and he's and, and then he's the not, next guy says yeah. There's just too many people saying the same thing. He doesn't need to call a wave. He just needs no. to provide insight into and that's kind of what the he overall. Does. Yeah, yeah, that's what he and you'll see like Golf Channel or the Tennis Channel or NFL. They always bring in the journalist. Yep. To come in and they go, hey, you just wrote this great article. Tell us a little bit about, and they just basically riff on the article and what they were, what their, totally. know, the, the theme of the article was. And I think Doherty would be great for that. I agree, but he has been in on the commentary team in the past prior to the WSL's you right. know, current incarnation, so he yeah. has experience with it. Oh, for sure. You mentioned Von Blakey. Um, he did the Volcom Pipe Pro yeah, this year. Vulcan he was Pipe in the Pro. booth, yeah. and he did a great job. Yeah. And his brother, Ron Blakey, has been doing the WSL stuff, yeah. and he's our favorite commentator yeah. on the WSL. Absolutely. So a lot of overlapping connections there. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that kind of segues nicely into the Quick Pro. Should we discuss? Yes, the Quicksilver Pro Gold Coast. It ended about three days ago? Yep. Four days ago? Yep. We were going to try to link up, but our schedules permitted or prohibited us from doing so so here we are all right well let me just start off with this um i'll tell you that kelly slater's boards looked um they it looked good in that in the first heat but in the second heat 
I guess it was round two, right? Mm-hmm. Where he went down. His the tide was too high. That board did not look good for getting through flat sections for trying to generate speed where there wasn't any. That board needed a low tide bowly wave for even Kelly to make it look good. That board sort of had all of those. It, it, that board needs a good wave. Yep, and enough hollow wave. You know that board needs it's Kelly the, Slater's wave pool. Specifically, the board is Kelly Slater's new Firewire construction Slater designs. Shaped by Greg Weber, the banana model right. is what it is, and which that, is highly rockered out. Right. Reminds everybody of the 1990s style kind of curvature. And what you're saying is it needs more curvature in the wave to match the curvature in the board. Basically, yeah. Steeper, You can see waves. the board pushing water through. And it, and it look, the waves are not that good. It's not that the board isn't a good board. It's just that the board didn't fit those waves. But why would Kelly choose the wrong board for those waves? Well, Kelly's, you know, who knows? That's... Kelly's headspace is hard to figure out. Look, the board worked good in low tide. I don't think it did. Kelly lost that heat too. Yeah, with but a thirteen people point were saying, total. People were saying the board looked good, and I, you know, I don't know. I think the board looked like crap. I think I'm not convinced. relative to Stuart Kennedy's board. It sure exactly didn't look good. and relative to everybody else surfing in the contest. It relative slow. relative to boards that we've seen Kelly surf in yeah, every contest right. in the history of Kelly Slater. It did look slow. It so looked- it's like. It, it was a bad board choice, which, number one, that's makes not, me question... Well, that's not new as of late, though, is it? Not like, as of late, but when he introduced these board models, we sat here and discussed them and kind of were baffled at that specific model, the banana design. Just like, really? This seems like a step backwards in board evolution. Well, it's, but see, it's not exactly that 90s thing. It's the 90s concept, but it's toned down. It's flatter. It doesn't have as much rocker. It is wider. It is fuller in volume. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a full-on 1992 model. So, th- but, he, but, and I think there is room to sort of go back that way. You know, you could argue we've gone to wide and flat. And now, as is the case with the cyclical nature of surfboard design and the conventional wisdom and where we stand in the evolution of it, we're sort of going back to, you know, a little bit more rocker. I like, look, the boards look sexy. And I like the idea of a little bit more rocker getting up the wave face quicker. Um, but you need, a, you need a wave. a good. You can't okay. ride it through flat sections and expect it to work good. I agree with you that you're, like the waves were the bigger problem than the board on that day. But... You gave me the same sales pitch that you just gave me now back in December when they unveiled these boards. And I said, okay, I'm now listening. I'm all ears. I'll let Kelly prove me wrong. Well, then Kelly rode a banana at Pipe during the Pipe Masters event, and it looked awful. And now he's riding it on the Gold Coast, and it looks awful. So I'm going... Why did it look awful at Pipe? I thought it looked good. No, I think there was a couple waves that it looked good on, but overall... I remember it, it looks really, criticizing his Well, it looks choice. really buttery in the bowl of yeah. the wave, right? Yeah. Um, it did look a little skittish, like way off the bottom when he faded way out into the flats for bottom turns a few times. Yeah. And Kelly's so good that, that you know, he can make it work. But he's, you know, again, he's riding a super small. But he's, it's just hard to sort of... Um, you know, make an analysis of it when Kelly's riding it because he's Kelly's just so good. Well, too. that's why it's easier to make the analysis is if anybody can make that board look good, it's got to be Kelly. And I think he and, does make it look good. I think oh, there God, was times man. at Pipe that he just makes it look really good. And there's there was mo- there's moments that drop in, it back door that he made that was nuts. That was the one wave I remember. And that. there's there's moments even at Snapper. There's there's turns, you know, top tight arcing top turns 
that the board looks sick. Check this out, dude. If you're releasing a new board line and this is your biggest advertising that you could possibly do for your boards, this was a worst case scenario. Getting last place, Kelly Slater's 25th, tied for last place on the world tour, coming out of the first event, which I don't remember when that's ever happened before, whereas Stu Kennedy, on the other hand, is the best possible advertising for your brand. This guy that nobody's ever heard of taking down world title contenders on this board that actually looks like from just an aesthetic standpoint, looking at the physical board itself, it looks amazing. Then when you watch him ride it, it looks amazing. It's like, holy cow, I want to buy one of those. Kelly, on the other hand, polar opposite, you know? Well, look, there's different boards in the line, right? Kelly's a part owner of Firewire, yeah. right? So, you know, I, I I just think that I would agree with you. The Stewie's board looked insane, it looks so good and so much faster. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that, look, there's room for a wide array of boards in this line. And did Kelly choose the wrong one in that high tide heat? Yeah, he did. Has he chosen the wrong board before? Yes, he has. Has he chosen the right board many times? Yes, he has. So um, I, I like the idea that Kelly's sort of pushing the boundaries, testing the boundaries, you know. And did it work out in a competitive sense? No, but, you know, he's making I- us think. I don't know. I'm honestly still waiting to be convinced on that board model. Like when he only released three board models in his uh, Slater designs, I did question that one as just being an odd choice. If you're only going to make three, that one seems kind of far out there. Um, That might be like the eighth choice out of, you know, my board line. So I'm waiting to see what happens with it. Like good news, you're going to be able to demo that board at the boardroom's demo day on Sunday, May 15th at 15th Street in Del Mar. Well, that will be last on my list of boards <laughs> that I try to ride actually because will I have other options or is that of my Of course. Well, yeah. then I'll try something else. All right. Well, there's rumor or speculation from a Gold Coast newspaper, I'm not sure if you saw this that Kelly may sort of follow Mick Fanning's footsteps this year and sort of pick and choose events. Um and it, it it just came on the heels of a question that was asked Kelly about Mick Fanning's hiatus. And Mick said, hey, or Kelly said, hey, who knows? I might beat him to the punch. Mm. That was the one line that was given the reporter. And the reporter took that to mean, huh, maybe Kelly's thinking about also, again, following in Mick Fanning's footsteps and just picking and choosing events. Yeah, which I think Kelly likes to bait the media anyways and do this all the time and say that he might retire. I don't know if that's true. I think that Mick is going to have to reconsider that strategy now that he did so poorly in this event as well, because his goal was, um, we kind of, I misspoke about it on the last show. I was saying that maybe they'll provide him a wild card spot into next year if he doesn't requalify this year. He just wants to get around 15th or 20th and stay on tour. Exactly. That's what his goal is to do like five or six events and stay on tour. But now he's looking at a QS. (laughs) Exactly. So he might not qualify if he keeps surfing like he did here. But um, yeah, I don't know if Kelly would actually, I, I would assume that Kelly doesn't want to go out on the bottom. And it's really sad to see him slowly get pushed out of the spotlight, which is what's happening, you know? So I would think that he would want to surf again next year. And if even he wants to do that, no. Oh, next year. Even next year, 2017. Oh, really? wow. And if he wants to do that, he needs to requalify this year. And if he's only doing occasional events and getting last place in them, he's going to just get bumped off tour. I wonder if it's a thing. And again, I'm just sort of riffing here, brainstorming with you about yeah. this. You know, you've got to imagine he's got 
a, a clothing company, a surfboard line, drink line, a bunch of stuff that he's that he's more interested in now than ever. All the players and the important people and the decision makers and all of those different businesses have got to be like, dude, you've got to stay on tour because that's how we're going to market these brands. You're, you're just by you being there. You're, yeah. All you have to do is show up and you're yeah, get last place. And on so our he, he's sort of torn between that. And again, I'm just assuming a lot here. Yeah. Is he torn between business interests and doing the right thing and showing up and really kind of not caring and wanting to go and, you know, and so he'll just pick and choose so that he can meet both needs, his own personal desire to go off to Tavarua whenever he wants, and the the need business-wise to show up at Margaret River, skip Brazil, but be at Tavarua, be at J-Bay, be at the big ones. It's a good, I mean, we've discussed that, and that's a good question, and I don't know that Kelly fully knows either at this point. I think that his priorities have shifted and they're not in a finalized, crystallized state yet in his mind. And so he's kind of dabbling. Um, I would t- totally be okay with him. Look, he killed it at the Vulcan Pipe Pro. Yeah. I would be okay with him, you know, just for me as a fan of Kelly. Yeah. I'm a fan of Kelly's. And like you, I don't want to see him fall off the tour. I'd let, rather have him like win J-Bay or win at Chopu and then go, that's it. I'm just going to do pipe and then I'm done. And, and so he's got the Vulcan Pipe Pro. He's got one more CT event in this year, 16. He does the pipe event. He'll probably make the semifinals or better. Yeah. And then he's, and then he's done. I, I'm not opposed to that at all. I would argue he would struggle to win even those events. Wow. Well, we'll see. You know, interestingly, I've got to say, for the first time ever, I've taken him off of my fantasy team yeah. <laughs> at Bells, where he has done well before. And sure. I'm sure he's won it a bunch of times. But um, so two things. That could mean if you're if you're smart, you'll put him on your team. Because if I took him off, he'll finally come through and do well. Just bet he'll, against you. Yeah, basically. bet against me. He'll probably be riding the Stewie model that was because <laughs> that's the board sci-fi. you need. That's what you need out there. Is that what it's called? The yeah. sci-fi? Yeah. Um, anyway, I took, by the way, was he on your team? Going yeah, into, he was. I, I noticed your team. And Mick. Smoked, Mick Fanning was on my team. I did. I know. I, I saw I'm like, what? 148th. You're 20th or something, right? Eight, I think 18, maybe. Yeah. Yours. You're tied for like, I have 688 for last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kelly and I are going down together. Yeah. I'm 19th. I'm sorry. Well, it's, you know, it's look fantasy wise. It's super interesting, right? Oh yeah. Did you ever meet up with Ray Bergman? Because I no. did an interview with him for. The, I did a down oh, the line. That's last week. what your episode was. Okay. Yeah, and I and I talked to him, and it's rather interesting from a fantasy perspective. All of these wild cards, all of these injuries, right? To Owen, to B, to Felipe, to um, who am I missing here? Owen? Did I say Owen? You uh, said Owen. Yeah. Um, there's another guy that's out. I can't think of it. Anyway. Um, so you have these replacements at $1.5 million. For instance, Stuart Kennedy is still $1.5 million. He does not go up in value. Right. So, and there's a couple of guys like that. Um, I did Seabass. Yeah. You can get Seabass all season long for 1.5 until until Owen Wright comes back. Yeah. You can get Stewie for all season long for $1.5 million. There's another guy too, I think, that you can get for 1.5. So... <clears throat> Why wouldn't you put those guys on your team? Anchor right. your lower seats because those guys are great guys to have at one five. This now gives you the ability to put Adriano, Gabriel, McFanning, all the Julian, all the big number guys. So, like, if you look at my team right now, it's stacked with like three or four 
14 to $8 million guys. And then I have three $1.5 million guys. And the $1.5 million guys are doing better than the $14 million. Guys. I was just going to say, that sounds like such a great strategy. How did that work for you, buddy? Well, I, ju- I, it, I just changed it. Okay. I did. But the guys that you just named, Gabriel, Mick, Julian, they yeah, all lost. Those guys were all on my they team. They all lost by round three. I you know, know what I mean? And Kelly. So, and Kelly. So that wasn't, I mean, it, it's so topsy-turvy right now. Well, this brings us to the rookie class, right? Amazing I'm going to tell class, you what dude. I think about these guys. Yep. A couple things. There's three guys that really stood out in my mind where I just went, wow. And one of them was Ryan Callanan. Wow, with an H? Wow. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Huge. Like Bernie Sanders. <laughs> okay. Um, Ryan Callanan. Sure. Kyle Abelli. Yep. And Connor Coffin. Yep. Those three guys, not necessarily in that order. I think Kyle's looked the best. Okay. I think Ryan Callahan, Callanan looked really, really good. Even though he did worse. I know, but just I was just impressed. His The heat that he lost out in was just, there was no waves. He got no waves. He just yeah. got skunked early. But anyway, those three guys, Connor, Kyle, Ryan, looked very impressive. Like they could go on and win events. Yeah. The other ones, Davey Cathels looked pretty hideous to me style-wise. Um, Kanoe Igarashi, I know he went further than most, but he didn't impress me. And um, Freestone. Freestone, not impressed. Yeah. Um, just kind of lacking polish. Yeah. Those guys lacking polish. Kyle just looks like he could go out and win. He looks like he's been on tour for four years. I've seen Kyle surfing for maybe seven years. He'll come through California, see him surf lowers all summer long and stuff. And I've always thought... He was amazing, like a class above everybody yeah, else. He looks like, and I think he was a world junior champ. Yeah. Um. So he's the real deal for sure. But I've only ever seen him surf rippable waves. Well, those guys. I mean, Connor and Kyle for sure. Three and four million dollars fantasy wise. <clears throat> pretty good values. Connor's the real deal, dude. Yeah. Connor looks unbelievable. I put out an Instagram. I don't know if you saw it. Basically. And Ross Williams was asking about this on the broadcast. Who does he remind you of? Connor? And, yeah, Connor okay. Coffin. And Ross said he reminds him of Richard Cram. Crammy, and some of you may not remember Crammy. He was like an 80s guy. Um, but he was a real powerful, regular foot, just known for this incredible power hack roundhouse cutback. And I suggested that he he sort of reminds me of a mix of Kong, Gary Kong Elkerton, and then this is a rather obscure reference, but Colin Smith, who I grew up with at, at, in the Encinitas area and who was a PSAA, I think, champion at one time in the early 90s, but a really solid p- performer. And, um, uh, you know, so, yeah, Ross Ross Williams was mentioning, you know, who, who does he look like? So, uh, Well, you reference Kanoa and you're not impressed. And I've spent a lot of time with Kanoa and I'm friends with Kanoa. And to be honest, I was a little apprehensive to see him qualify so young because I'm not, I'm not sure he's proven yet on the world stage, but I was impressed with him at this level in terms of his competitive prowess. Like his surfing in that style of waves is good, you know, and I'm not sure how he's going to do it, chopu and pipe and stuff like that. But he seemed to be a little bit more savvy just as a competitive surfer. And I think that that's his edge on a lot of the other guys on the tour. Yeah, but will the grind of a season-long tour just take him down? Will he be spit out, if not this year, by the next year, and then just be back on the QS? And who knows? All, all of that stuff is yet to be determined. No, what but, kind of grit? What kind of th- this is when you're 18 years old on the tour? This is really about 
What's it going to look like in four years? Do you have the internal fortitude to grind it out? Yeah. Because it's going to be tough for him. And I would agree with you. Yeah, okay, he knows how to surf competitively. He, he understands the game, so yeah. to speak. But, you know, is he going to be squashed by the grind that is being an 18-year-old rookie on tour? I look at guys like Joel Parkinson, I think, won Jay Bay when he was a wild card yeah, at 18. 18. You know, there's certain guys that can step up and just do it. And, and Joel was, you know, Joel was looked better than the way Connor Coffin does now yeah, back then. You know, totally. he was a step ahead of everybody. And Kanoa isn't there yet. So I just see it like, okay, this is going to be a long grind for him. And I hope that he can, has again, the internal fortitude to grind through this and make it out the other end. And, and in three or four years, like Kolohe, be on tour and be where he's supposed to be. I'm going to argue that he does because... He's been traveling at this level since he was 10 years old. You know what I mean? Like he has more of that fortitude than anybody I've really seen. And he's been groomed for it. And he has the right handlers supporting him through the process. It is his all that he knows. The only thing that's in question is the surfing itself. Here's an interesting take on all of that. Um, when you look at young guys on tour and how they handle their first two or three years on tour, and many of them are like, okay, I'm here. I got to requalify. I got to get a good result. Right. This is it. And then the, you look at the exact opposite of that first, that guy that was on tour for one, two, and three years. And I'm talking about Matt Wilkinson. And look at his attitude on tour. His attitude on tour then was like, I'm the happy-go-lucky fun guy. I'm going to wear freaky wetsuits. I'm going to go out there and spin around. And you never got the sense that he cared too much about requalifying, although I'm sure he did. But he really put an emphasis on, I'm going to be the character on tour that everyone loves. I'm going to market myself as this fun-loving guy. And here we are, year five or six or whatever it is. And now he's got the eye of the tiger. Mm -hmm. He lasted those three and four years because he didn't say, oh my god i'm on tour i've got to make this happen i've got to requalify he had a, an attitude of hey man whatever happens happens i'm here let's go chug a beer you know instagram me with a beer after a heat blah blah you know i did his well raw talent got him through those years and and this attitude of yeah i know i've got three years to mature anyway i might as well just have fun with it if it happens it happens sort of like a letting go moment right and here we are and he's got a coach he's focused he's done four years or five years whatever it is on tour so that now he's at a place where he's like I get it I know what it's about I had fun doing it now it's time for me to focus on a world title I think when you look at Kolohe you could say oh man he got a coach he got a crew he was like okay it's now or never and Kolohe bumped and scraped for four or five years and right. that's a place where Kanoa could be he could bump and scrape and get spit out and never see him again or he could be like hey look whatever happens I'm 18 years old Right. I mean, look at Taj. Taj went off the tour, didn't even get on the tour when he could have been on tour because he's like, I'm too young. Exactly. And so it's all about really, you know, your attitude. I think Wilco did it. I don't even know if he did it on purpose. I don't think he but did. But he just did yeah. this. You it know, worked out that It way. did. It worked out really good because he didn't <clears throat> seem to put too much pressure on himself early in his career. I agree. That's a good point. Let's discuss those two people, Kaloe and Matt Wilkinson. How did you feel about their surfing and them colliding in the final? Well, Kolohe had an incredible event, really. I thought some of his heats lacked spark. Yeah. I thought he looked heavy. I, I didn't. And I think I'm specifically speaking about a semifinal heat where he caught a ton of waves. And it just and even the commentators were saying that his legs burned. And it looked like he was catching too many waves mm. because um, his surfing just looked, it lacked a little bit of zest. You know, I think if, if you can catch you know, four or six waves instead of 12 waves or yeah. whatever it is, 
you know, again, a lot of that strategy when you're under priority, you want to keep busy. So you're putting some thought in the other guy's head. Hey, man, I got to do it too. The, the swell was dwindling and he's just like, I'm going to stay busy. The previous heat, they were, you know, there was not enough waves to go around. So he's like, I'm just going to get out there and get as many as possible. I just didn't think he looked super polished. I, look, yeah, Kolohe, we hold him to a kind of a higher standard. We do. I'm very happy for him. But that one heat, I, I was sort of... He just didn't look quite. I think was it who was it against? Stu Kennedy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and Stu was that the final? No, yeah. no, 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 no. Well, yeah, yeah. Was in the that's final. right. Yeah, yeah. The heat against Stu Kennedy. I just thought he and he did. He's obviously he made it to the final. He served well. I just thought he looked a little bit heavy. Like he just didn't have the spark that Stu had on some of his waves. And you know, so here's my thought. I I had Kaloe on my team, so I was glad to see him do well. But he's a lesser version of Felipe in those types of waves. And so that's the problem. You got those guys on opposite ends of the draw. They're both regular foot. They both surf pretty similarly. They've got really kind of, I'd say Chloe has better form than Felipe, but they both do like really radical, fast carves and big air reverses. But Felipe's are faster, more powerful, and bigger air reverses. I don't know if they're more powerful, but he is has much more spark. He's much faster. He's lighter. Kolohe yeah. is a big guy, right? Isn't I don't Kolohe, know. I don't think so. I think Kolohe is like 5'11", 165 or something. Okay. I don't know. Maybe he, he just is. seems bigger. And he's gotten bigger. You know, yeah. he's bigger now than he was last year or the year before. So, and the but thing you is- you do make a good point. They are the yeah, same that's, guy. That's and, the problem. But he's the lesser of the- Felipe's way- Exactly. Way better. Exactly. Like, it's, it's like when we had Adam Melling and Mick Fanning. You know, right, Mick exactly. Fanning's just the light years better than... By the way, Adam Melling's that other guy at a million five that That's you can right. get, and he's a good pickup. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply I, I, so it's kind of like i love kaloe and i want to see him do well and he's from orange county where we're i'm from and so it's like he was my favorite until felipe came along and stole the thunder and did it better so that's my only caveat, and that's what Kaloe is going to have to. He's going to have to figure out a way to kind of differentiate himself. Well, my feeling with Kaloe is okay. You've got this result. Congratulations! It was it, it was almost like a coming out party a little bit for Kaloe. Like okay, he's done it. Yeah. But really, the way I see it is that is he going to rest on his laurels here? To me, what what's going to 
what needs to happen in the next two events in Australia is he needs to make a round five or better. If he's out in round two or three in the next two events, to me, it takes away from this like this barrier that he seems to have broken through. Mm-hmm. I think he needs another strong result in the next two or three events, even into Brazil, so that he gets on a roll. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want this to be, oh yeah, I had one good event this season. It was the first event of the year. Yeah. And then things didn't go my way. Right. And now then I feel like we're taking a step back. To me, I, I really feel like, okay, if we have, if we're at year five, I think right around yeah. there, and we've broken through the first event of the season, we need to back it up soon yeah. so that we can continue some momentum going into the second half of the season. If it turns out to be the second half of the season, we're going, God, I hope I can get into round four. Right. Then this event has sort of lost some of its luster. Right now, we're glad for him, but I really think that the time for talking is over. We said this about him at Lowers last year. Dude, that's your home break. You should be in the final. Right. And so I think we need, I think this is a good result, but I don't think we can rest on our laurels here. How do you feel about Matt Wilkinson surfing? Insane. Really? Absolutely insane. Yeah, very, you know, just incredibly, I mean, that his backside, he goes past 12 o'clock on some of those backside off the lips, you know, where he's throwing his board. Um I mean, I like everything about what I saw from Matt Wilkinson. He looks professional. He looks like he can catch two waves in a heat and win the heat. Yep. He looks like the coaching thing is working for him. Yep. He um, coached by Glenn Micro Hall, by the way. Yeah, and Tyler Wright, right? Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, I so, saw Glenn doing coaching in Oceanside like a couple weeks ago. Um, you could almost say the same thing about Wilco as I just said about Kolohe, though. Like, if this is in fact the season of Wilco um, and the last few years have just been like, Hey, happy go lucky. Look at my tiger striped yeah. wetsuit. If he is in now, in fact, focusing on a world title, this is a new type of pressure for him perhaps. Mm-hmm. And can he in the next two or three events back this up, which will give him momentum or will this be a step back and, Oh, maybe I should just go back to being happy go lucky Wilco. I'll be happy with my one win on tour ever. Right. And, and I've never thought about... Will he fade? I don't know, and I've never thought of him as being a contender, really. And I I, I like... It's hard to wrap your head around right now as we look at each other. Yeah, and I like his surfing as well, and it is radical, and it is... What I like about it is its explosiveness. And Fred Polly's piece that he wrote was talking about how it's refreshing to see somebody exhibit some raw, raw surfing. Because Gabriel and everybody else, Mick, they're all so polished, which we strive for you know like we wanted to see polished surfing and now that we've seen it so much how refreshing it is to see this guy we want zest looks, don't yeah, we we want looks, some spring to your step yeah. you want something that's just a little bit off kilter that's and you you're not sure if he's gonna fall he falls a lot you know what yeah. i mean and he finishes a wave by falling which is unacceptable for other people except which, for the fact which is an interest we need to get to that point yeah except for the fact that he already earned a nine with the first three turns and you cannot take that away from was him. there too much emphasis on the last turn fall not so to speak putting a stamp on your ride i sense that there was a little bit too much of that do you in this event in a few heats i was like does it really matter if he falls on that last little one footer now i think it's important but is it that important is it a one point difference it shouldn't be but i think that the the places where it is it or the places where they do dock him let's say or dock them a point is when they haven't um, like 
really let it all hang out in the previous maneuvers where they're saving something for the final maneuver. Whereas the example with Wilco, when he does those three bottom to top, like blowing the lip out the back, it's undeniable at that point. You're already like, you've already got your score written in practically. And then he falls on the fast last turn. No big deal. You yeah. know, that, and the, the next difference. event's a lot like that. You know, Bells is a lot like the last turn means a lot. You could say that, look, Chopu, Tavarua, no. you're not going to do anything on that last end right. section. Right. You've done all the work in the first part of the wave. And so you make a great analysis there. These waves where at the end, it could be just as important as the first turn. Right. Um, especially if, if we're talking big air and a big moment coming yeah. up at the end of the wave. Interesting stuff. Well, so here's what's interesting about Wilco is I've never looked at him as a contender, but as I look at the back or the rest of the season, he could do well. Like at big barreling lefts, he could do well in the South Pacific. At rights, roping rights, he can do really well. Like J-Bay made the semifinals when it was all time like two years ago. Um, Lowers, lowers he could do really well at. Where's the question mark? Brazil, right? The beach breaks, maybe. And I would say even the next event could be a question mark because it's a fatter. Yeah, because it's a little fatter. What if it goes to Winky? Well then, then he'd smash it. Then we've got something so else. Yeah, he could. The question marks would be Portugal and France if they're not hollow, and maybe Rio. But other than that, he could do really well if he, again, competitively gets his act together. But what we've seen in the past from Wilco is that he lingers in the mid twenties. You're questioning his requalification, and then he'll make the semis in one event. And barely requalify every year. So this could be the one event that he does well in, and now we won't see him again throughout the rest which of is, the year. Which is, like I say, both Wilco and Kolohe are in that same boat, where we need to see something soon up to Brazil, a, a solid result, to gain momentum and keep momentum going. Right. Otherwise, we're back to kind of where we were. Right. Okay, we got a great result. I'm going to rest on my laurels and move through my career this way. Right. Except for the fact that, He's on a new training regime. Right. I so, agree. That, look. So what we've seen in the past isn't necessarily I agree. applicable to what we're going to see from him this year. Totally agree with that. So and the it, same it's is true with Kolohe. Like it's totally. good. That's why I say the next three events are really going to dictate what happens, I think, with their seasons. Completely. Because they now have real pressure on them to, like, you, there's no more excuses. Dude, you no. were in the finals of the first event. Right. Are you a con- title contender or not? Look at what Felipe did. Look at what Adriano did. Yep. I mean, he had a r- ridiculous Australian leg last yep. season, right? Like a second, a third, and a third or something, yeah. or a win or whatever. It was crazy. Yeah, I think he won Margaret's last year, actually. Um, but so let's look at the rankings. Coming out of this event, it looks hilarious. It's topsy-turvy, It looks man. so hilarious. Wilco in first place. I mean, amazing. Chloe Andino, second place. Felipe and Stu Kennedy are tied for third. What the heck? Stu Kennedy is not even on tour. Stu Kennedy. And he's tied for third. That's a, yeah. And then in 13th place, Mick Fanning and Gabriel Medina. In 25th place, Kelly Slater, tied for last. Yeah. Ridiculous. And Julian. I mean, Julian's a guy. Julian's a guy that everyone's kind of going, okay, now's your time, you know? And I had him on my team. Like the the people I spent money on. I had a great team, (laughs) except it was a horrible team. (laughs) The people I spent money on in Fantasy Surfer were like Julian and Josh Kerr. And they fully let me down. Yeah. And Idolo actually let me down as well. Um, I had Kelly going into the event and like the day before swapped him out. I just swapped Kelly for somebody and it, it was just so hard. Oh, for Gabriel. And it was uh, so hard for me to do. Yeah. The, the idea that I'm going to be rooting for Gabriel Medina. Yeah. 
Well, so one thing we need to discuss, there's a couple of bullet points. Felipe Toledo's injury. Felipe got injured in his heat. That's, doing an air. That was heavy, man. Yeah. And against, that's really bad news for us as fans. It like really he, is. That's a full-on bummer. Except, so basically, um, he was doing an air, air reverse. We've seen him do a million before. He was in his semifinal heat, I think, against uh, was Matt he Wilco. Cold? Do you think he was cold? No. It, it, it's a uh, groin did injury. You, yeah, did you see the, yeah, the I wave? watched it, yeah. He's doing an air. As he's landing, the wave had broken and the whitewash was like bouncing up and he landed on top of where the whitewash was bouncing and it just basically pushed his board, which pushed his leg into the hip socket and he just kind of compressed on his hip and his femur into the socket and injured him. And he surfed through the rest of the heat with the injury, but even the commentators recognized it as an injury and was like, he's obviously not able to give hundred percent and he ended up losing to Wilco was hobbled up the beach and he's now withdrawn from Bell's Beach and Margaret River which I'm going to argue who cares like those are the two events that we're not going to really see him perform in anyways I'm not who cares but well, a couple things on that I'm not saying really who cares I'm just saying he wasn't going to get first place in either of those events anyways take those off get better and Felipe um, is my duke Kahanamoku for the way that he congratulated Wilco after the heat. He caught a wave. He could have just ridden it in. He stopped, kicked out, and went up and congratulated Matt Wilkinson. Yeah, that's right. As the broadcaster said, he probably won over 100,000 new fans just for that act of class and grace, which is what we love about Felipe and Adriano. Those guys have got a lot of class. I agree. I I was shocked by how much class. And when they interviewed him, when he was laying on the table, like getting worked on, the guy's so so nice, yeah. and like his English is so good now. He's really articulate. That's why we like him because because <laughs> I can understand what he's talking. But I mean, <laughs> that's truly, a note to all you other Brazilians: learn your English. No, I mean, I mean, truly, really. truly, uh, like he's articulate and sincere, and yeah. for a guy who, by everybody's standards, should have won that event, he took it in stride. Yeah, really impressive. Compared um, compared to Gabriel when he was coming off his world title and cried and then cursed at Glenn Hall. Remember that? <laughs> yes, that's why I'm anti-Gabriel. I can't believe he's on my team. Right. Um, the other thing I've heard regarding injuries, and yeah. I, I reported on this last week when I did a show, Owen Wright, I found out through the grapevine, all pure speculation, rumor, innuendo, probably not true. But I will tell you what I've learned is that that brain injury is a lot um, more complicated than we, than maybe we understand, and that the potential of Owen Wright never being on tour again is a real potential. That's frightening. Yeah, head injuries anyway. They just don't know. Right, head injuries are very, very dangerous. I mean, you'll hear about somebody riding their bicycle and just like tipping over and accidentally bumping their head on a curb and then they die, you know, or something like it seems insignificant, but it turns out you don't know how this stuff. Translates. And as you reported, I believe, and I, I just was reiterating this, it ends up, he, he didn't hit his head no. on anything. No, he came in and took a nap at 10 o'clock in the morning, which is really weird, right? Matt Wilkinson woke him up to go to lunch. Did you know this? Didn't you tell the yeah. story? I thought you did. And, um, and if Matt Wilkinson hadn't woken him up and said, hey, buddy, it's noon. Let's go to lunch. What's up? 
And that's when they went, oh my God, this guy's got an issue. If, it's quite possible that he may have passed, died in sleep. May not have woken up. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you say he didn't hit his head, just to the remind listeners, water. he was surfing pipe and there's footage of him surfing that day. He got the sickest waves, like arguably, it was like one of the best sessions of the winter. He got like three waves that were flawless and deep and amazing. But just paddling out, he was just getting thrashed trying to make the paddle out. And he just, he had a concussion from getting worked at Pipeline, but never hit his head on it. The irony is that he didn't bail his board, that he held onto his board and yeah. therefore took a kind of a big beating by the, the yeah. power of the wave. Yeah, that is frightening. Yeah. Um, Scary. Stewie Kennedy. Yeah. Looked incredible. Yep. Um, sometimes I get him and Adam Melling mixed up a little bit. Do you? <laughs> a little bit. I they're can both, see why. They're both smooth. But um, and Seabass, you know, Seabass and Stewie Kennedy sort of remind me a lot of each other. Their style and their approach is similar. Yeah. Stu Kennedy, I've paid attention to for a long time, just on the QS level. He's 26 years old. He's an unbelievably talented surfer who, as you've stated, there's a million unbelievably talented surfers on the QS. It's all so, about your inner fortitude. It is. And yeah. he's seemed to have like faltered in critical situations over the years and never been able to quite push into the qualification zone. So I was thrilled to see him get this opportunity. However, Snapper is the perfect entry point for Stu to make a splash. I have no idea what Stu will do. Yeah, no, he can combust. He can combust competitively. Like we don't know. This style of wave suits his style of surfing better than any other venue on the planet. I think the big question mark is a place like Margaret River where there's just this wide open field. What's he going to ride? Is he going to have the wherewithal to stick to his guns from a strategic standpoint? Does like is... We just don't know enough about him. But look, you know, he also on the QS was riding um, this Tomos, the, um, you know, the sort of the stub nose models. And there was some speculation that even though he was surfing great, that the judges didn't like that, that there right. was like an aesthetic issue just on the, which is silly. It's true, though. Yeah. Because I remember seeing him show up at the US Open on one of those boards five years ago, you know, and doing insane airs on him. And then. He didn't make it through the event, but Kelly Slater in one of Kelly's post-heat interviews was like, I want to ride what Stewie Kennedy was riding. Even though Kelly's winning the event and Stu's losing, Kelly was like, I want to ride that thing. Yeah. So, you know, that was kind of a premonition for what was to come, I suppose. Um, I will comment on the commentary team uh, this year. I feel like they're off to a good start in terms of they're less fettered maybe by the WSL, like they seem more critical and honest. Ronnie Blakey, Ronnie Blakey was questioning scores, you know, like um, outright and Strider questioning Kelly's board choice really critically and at length. And other people as well were all questioning Kelly's board choice, of course. But I just felt like there was a lot more honesty and it was um, encouraged, like, Ronnie would question the score and then be like, hey, Ross, what do you think about that score? Do you think they really should have given him that high of a score? Whereas in the past, it really seemed like they didn't criticize the judges. Yeah, you know, the the point that you've made, which I think is super important, is the judges should not know what is needed to advance a surfer through the heat. Thank you for recognizing that. I think that would solve everything. I think that's one of the most important things um, that needs to be addressed. I agree. It's just absolutely crucial. Yeah. 
it's just going to create a sense of transparency that is needed for us, the fans, so that we're not like thinking conspiracy theory exactly. all the time. Now, I think the judging was pretty damn good. Yeah, I thought so too. I, I don't recall anything where you're like, oh, wow, what happened there? You know, right. that seems odd. Yeah. Um, there were close heats that could be argued one way or the other, but I think the, nothing egregious. I think the broadcasting still has, um, I think the broadcast itself um, will continue to evolve in a good way. Um, I think that there's some people on that broadcast team that could be relieved of their duties uh, and replaced by much more qualified individuals. Shout it out. Who's your favorite? Who's your least? Well, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Let me just say that I think to suggest that Strider is as good as we can do yeah. is wrong. Yeah. And I love Strider. Everyone loves Strider. He's kind of like... He's like the happy-go-lucky uncle that shows up at the holiday feast and you just kind of have to put up with him. And, yeah. And and he's a sweet guy. And But to suggest that he's got the greatest critical analysis of what's happening is wrong. Yep. And to also think that there's not somebody out there, a lot of people out there that could do a much better job is wrong too. Totally. Now, I don't under, I don't know all the politics of it. No. I, I'm sure there's something going on there that... Um, and he's not horrible. He's gotten better. I'm just saying that if if we're looking at it from an objective viewpoint without any, hey, man, but he's my bro. Right. Which, by the way, because I don't want to be the guy that hates on Strider. Like, you know, I don't yeah. know if Strider listens to the show or not. Yeah. But I would hate for him to go, oh, yeah, Scott was giving you shit. I'm, right. I'm just saying if I was in charge of that production, I would be looking at it like, what can we do to improve it? And there's right. X, Y, and Z over here that need tweaking. Yep. That's one of the things that I think needs tweaking. Yep, I fully agree. And you're not the only one. I mean, read comments on the internet or on people's Instagram, and I think that's a that's a majority viewpoint, probably. Yeah. So um, we reference... I see that Surfline... I'm sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. Surfline did a whole thing on the WSL post-heat interviews. Mm. It was an opinion piece by Matt Pruitt, okay. basically saying they need to dive in a little deeper. They're, they're too soft on the post-heat interviews. Okay. And um, that may or may not be the case. Um, you know, people like Rosie Hodge that are doing those post-heat interviews. The thing that needs to happen, and I've, you and I have said this, they need to interview the loser if you want some zest. If you want some Bobby Martinez moments, interview the loser of the heat as well as the winner of the heat. They do sometimes. Yeah, and you'll get some, you know... You'll get something more interesting. And you also need to look at the experts in the field. Look at the Jim Grays. You know, Jim Gray is a guy that, you know, generally people are like, oh, God, here comes Jim Gray. I've got to deal with this guy. Because Jim Gray is a guy that's going to put the microphone in Pete Rose's face and go, do you think you should be, are you still Are you still betting on baseball? Should you be in the Hall of Fame? You know, yeah. like at the exact wrong time, you know. Right. And that's kind of what you need to get. You need somebody that's willing to ask the hard question, right. you know. And um, and Jim Gray is a great example of that. And there are others that there are great sideline reporters in the NFL and stuff. And believe me, that is a tough gig. Yeah. You know, you go up to a coach at halftime and go, hey, man, you oh, know, yeah. you're required by the league to say something to me right now. And and unfortunately, they just spit out cliches a time after time. You know, yeah. hey, we're going to have to play tougher and play as a team. OK, I got to go. Right. You know, and so how do you get more out of that interview? And I think. And gosh, I you know with a fledgling, fledgling uh, WSL, now's the time when you're going to get those things before these surfers are polished enough to be able to just say the same cliche thing over and over. 
Albie Layer uh, criticized the WSL on his Instagram, and he posed a few questions for them. Thoughts on the first CT event at Snapper is what he entitled it. Uh, number one, why does everyone have such a hard-on for people surfing at 70%? Surfing won't progress anywhere like that. That's an interesting point. Like well, Potts, Potts com- constantly references, if this guy wants to win the heat, he needs to serve 70%. And Potts is correct that the guy will win the heat if he serves 70%. But if our judging is structured that way, maybe something is wrong. Well, what's it's not the judging that's structured that way. I think what's structured that way is let's not peak too soon. So you get a guy like Gabriel who's just going to do what it takes to get through the heat until he gets into the semis and the finals where he at that point should do things that are just incredible that we haven't seen. And Gabriel's smart enough and Felipe is smart enough to do that, to manage their level of um, technique until they get to the finals. Now, you get Gabriel... Felipe in an early round heat with a guy like say Dane Reynolds who's like whatever I don't care Dane starts blowing up yeah well now those two guys have to adjust their game a little bit and maybe they will have have because of Dane or because of a wild card they will have done too much too soon and now when it does get to the semis and the finals they really have to step it up or it seems sort of like the same old same old so I think the 70% thing you know is like look just do enough to get through round three get through round four get through round five Get me into the arena where, okay, these, these are the money heats. Now the judges realize that you have to take it to a new place. So at this point, I think it's upon the judges to really score high on those super critical, critical moments and then keep things sort of dampened until we see those moments. I agree that's what's happening. And I think what Albie's speaking to is a larger point, which is, the beginning, the first few rounds are boring because of what you're talking about. And then at the later rounds, things get really exciting and everybody wants to watch. But maybe the whole structure is wrong where we have to watch 32 guys surf at 70% for a few days so that we could just watch 12 guys surf at 100% for the last day. Well, you, that's a great point. We've that's argued what that. it is. And you know what? You know what I found out? I was watching the girl, a lot of the girls' heats this time. Good for you. Yeah. Welcome aboard, by well, the way. Well, what's interesting about that, right, is that is that you get great rivalries in the women's event. You mm-hmm. basically get the top six girls or eight girls every time. And so you build up these rivalries because you're only starting with, how many do they have? Like 17. 17. So if the men had 16 like they used to have, you are naturally going to get like ongoing rivalries. We're going to see Wilco versus Kolohe a lot. Yeah. We're going to see the same guys going at it, and they're going to get sick of each other. Yeah. And there's going to be a real... Um, battle like there is with Courtney Conlog and Tyler Wright and Stephanie Gilmore you sense that they don't necessarily you know they're starting to kind of go oh god I've got to do and oh by the way because they meet so many times we've got a record Courtney's 12 and 6 versus Tyler Wright and that's really compelling to you and I the fan totally you know like Courtney's uh, Tyler Wright's got this girl's number or whatever the case may be and and I think Albie's right in that regard or what you were stating a whittling of the field to 16 and just going with 16 it does a lot it first of all it shortens the event which is great and um you know, it, the, it makes these rivalries and these things that ca- fans care about rivalries. You and I, I've been spouting about this for 10 years. Yeah. And uh, I think, it, I think sh- you know. The fact that it's right to surf 70% to get through 
says some that there's a fundamental flaw in the program. Well, the flaw in that thinking, though, is that that's not always the case. I will grant that 80% of those early round heats are like that. But there is the case, which I just mentioned, where you yeah. get a wild card that is now has to, that is pushing Gabe Medina to a place where he doesn't necessarily want to be, but he can go there. Yeah, but let me argue this against that, is that in that heat that Dane's surfing against Gabriel Medina, Dane will be going 100% and falling 80% of the time. And that's when Potts will chime in and go, Dane needs to just go 70% in this heat because he keeps falling. Yeah, but Dane, as a wild card, doesn't care. Like every heat's 100% because yeah. he's like, whatever, I'm not on tour anyway. Mm-hmm. And this is what people, and oh, by the way, I'm, against, I'm going against the number one surfer in the world in Gabe Medina. So it's all or nothing now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's when the... You know, Brett Simpsons of the world are going 70% against Gabe in round three that you're going, dude, Right, step it up. Okay. Albie's point number two. 80% of people and running, 80, 80% of the people on and running the WCT don't understand the difference between different airs. A full rotation, an air reverse, a single grab or double grab are all vastly different and are not the same level of difficulty. Also, landings should matter. Well, of course, landings matter. If you don't land, you don't make it. No, I mean, but, I mean but the style the, of the landing or the butteriness of the landing. Yeah, Some I guys like Felipe stomps it and goes into a next turn where other guys are. I agree with everything out. I'll be saying there. I think that they're need, and now he's he's generalizing a bit. He's assuming that the judges don't take um, seminars on what is difficult and what isn't difficult. I'm, I'm not sure that they do, but to suggest that they don't might be a big assumption. But I think that that. It would be good for somebody like Albie to go in and teach these guys. I think that's for sure. It's so nuanced and it's so changing by the minute that who is up to date on it other than him and Matt Miola? You know what I mean? And it also could be this case, too, that there are certain areas that are more difficult than others. But those less difficult aerials say on an objective plane when you go well that aerial is definitely not as hard as this aerial but that less difficult aerial done in certain situations with the tons of speed in a really yeah. critical situation you could argue that's way harder than the quote-unquote more difficult aerial in just a little pocket of, of the wave right yeah. so it's so subjective it is that you can't simply say look this aerial is more difficult than that aerial it just depends on are you doing it in an eight foot wave or a one foot wave the you know? first how fast the are first you section or an end section yeah like know? all of that and yeah. i think the judges are a little bit more nuanced than maybe albie gives them credit for I, but i to say that I look, Albie's the expert. I can't argue. I don't, I don't know <laughs> the difference is. between them. But I do know when I see high-speed critical performance surfing going on, you, you get it. Albie does still have a point, though. You I know do. that there is some, some an element of nuance that isn't fully being. I think when you're like surfing two to three foot Brazil, I think that nuance is really important. Mm-hmm. I think when you're surfing, you know, six foot J Bay and guys are doing double grabs at the end of the wave going super fast, that's pretty crucial and critical. Anytime there's tons of speed in a big section coming up, it's going to be critical and crucial. And um, but maybe he's right. You know, is a nose pick at three foot Brazil more difficult than a double grab at? Three foot yeah. Brazil. Yeah. Um, he has two other points. I'll just blow through them real quickly. We don't need to do 20 minutes on each. But number three, a veteran or anyone barely throwing tail is not progression. It's the opposite. It's moving backwards, which I think is kind of funny because we have seen. I remember one year Kieran Perot did a double grab straight air and they gave him an eight. And it was like if Felipe did a double grab, they'd give him a three. You know what I mean? But because Kieran did it, they gave him a huge score. Yeah. So I do think that he has a point there. Not that, I, I agree with that. And that was a couple years ago. But And his fourth point is that 
contests bring out the best surfing in some people and kind of suffocate others true potential like john john which is totally well, true. that's on john john though but i think like he's got a point in that Stu kennedy i've seen him do his best surfing in this event you know it really elevated his level whereas john john it brought his level down for some reason he feels a need to go 70 percent to get through heats um by the way side note John John was being coached by B. Durbich in this event. Interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, it is interesting. I don't know. I don't have an opinion one way or the other if it if there was a positive or negative effect. Well, he got his best result, so that's good. Yeah. Um, but Bede is an infinitely less accomplished surfer than John well, John. So, you know? so is Micro Hall yeah. relative to Wilco. Yeah, which is also very interesting, you know? Um and how'd you feel about Bede in the commentary booth? Um, pretty good. Yeah. Not bad. Not, yeah. not over the top. I mean, I think I'd rather see critical analysis um, from a journalist. I, I thought Bede provided nothing for me. Yeah. Like he was boring. Yeah. His personality is so... It's a little bland. It, I mean, arguably, I have the same personality, so I'm not like shaming it like that. That's me. But... It doesn't. It didn't really provide any insight. His analysis of the waves wasn't any better than Ronnie's or Ross Williams. His analysis of the surfing. The greatest wasn't moment any was when they were asking him questions, and he was so focused on the heat. He's like, "I really can't talk right now." Because it was John John's heat. <laughs> that was the best. Yeah, that was when I'm like, "God, I love the honesty here." He's like, right. "Get away from me. I'm exactly. busy." Yeah, yeah. Because his his surfer was in the heat. Right. But um, all right. Well, that's all I got for the snapper event. Do you have anything more on snapper? No, that's okay. all I got. I have a kook, but I also have a story about Luna the dog. Did you hear about this? No, and dog I got a lovers? couple other stories too. But we got to make it quick. Yeah, yeah. Luna the dog uh, fell off a fishing boat in the Pacific Ocean. This okay. happened just recently. Okay. And had been presumed dead, okay, for more than a month. So the owner of what? Luna the dog lost Luna to the ocean. Whoa. Been presumed dead for more than a month. Um, this dog Luna has now been found alive by Navy officials on San Clemente Island, 80 miles off of the coast of San Diego. How far out to sea was he when he fell off the boat? Like tens of miles? Probably between here and, and that island. Okay. I guess. Okay. I don't know. But they were deep sea fishing, so okay. they were probably pretty far out there. So Luna's a one-year-old German shepherd reported missing February 10th, two miles off of San Clemente Island. Got it. San Clemente Mile island 80 miles from san diego um and the owner nick hayworth is a fisherman and according to uh the u.s navy public affairs office in coronado um luna and nick hayworth were reunited so great dog meets dog dog is found story that's insane luna swam two miles and then lived on the island yeah amazing dude full castaway story right there it is <laughs> wonder if he had a wilson with him keep him company the whole time the dog yeah Wilson yeah Luna's a girl oh well um (laughs) so did you see surfing magazine did a round table about American surfing with Kelly Slater CJ Hobgood Chloe Andino Brett Simpson and Nat Young wonder where they got that idea shocking right (laughs) did you see it no I mean so I I did it that's my idea we are you and I already did that discussion well Surfline has done it pretty successfully with various topics yeah surfing magazine just did it and it was a focus on american surfing they released part one there's going to be multiple parts yeah um here's my thought about it even though you didn't watch it yeah it's such a good concept that gets so poorly executed 
Like I'm, I'm, it's 10 or 15 minutes long. So I'm like, okay, cool, long form. I'm gonna get real insight from these people. The only person who said anything interesting at all was Kelly Slater. Yeah. As always. That does not surprise the me. The other guys start over talking one another, cracking stupid jokes and really perpetuating the Spicoli stereotype. Yeah. And I'm going, and so that's partially due to the people editing it because I'm sure that they sat there for two hours to get 15 minutes. Yeah. And of the 15 minutes you're showing me, it's just these guys trying to make jokes and they're not even that funny. Kelly Slater was the only one who provided any insight. At some point, Sippo tried to make a point and Kelly's like, are you tripping, dude? Like, you really think that? Like, that's not how it works at all and calls him out on it. Good. Um, yeah. And so, again, I was thrilled to see it. I'm going to watch part two. But in the end, I just thought. It's funny. Poor, you know, we're, we're producing execution. seminars for the boardroom show. Yeah. And the people that are working with me to, to create it are like, we have, um, we have one on the WS. It's called WSL Future Shock. And it's about what will pro surfing look like in 10 years. Yeah. And, and the panel is, um, right now it's Nick Carroll and PT and Chaz Smith. And, um, and the guys I'm working with are like, hey, we should have a professional surfer on this thing. Somebody from the CT needs to like be there to give it, to ground it in some reality. Yeah. And I was saying to myself and to him, the last thing I want is a CT surfer on this panel. I agree. The, you know, these guys are not, you know, how, how are they going to bring more to the plate than Nick Carroll, Peter Town, and, and Chaz Smith as sort of the provocateur? And anyway, it just, it just backs up what you were, yeah. what you were well, talking about. Well, you and I about. have interviewed pro surfers before. And to be honest, it's a challenge. It's, and lame. so, and I, they're so athletes. You and I, and we, on the podcast platform, we've interviewed a lot of people. And it's kind of like I've thrown out entire episodes because I couldn't edit it into an interesting narrative. You know, and so I, I watch that roundtable thing and I go, you guys have access to guys that I would love to have access to and quest. I'd love to be able to ask them these questions. You guys are asking the wrong questions. You're allowing them to go off on a tangent that isn't even relevant without redirecting them. Saxon Boucher was the moderator of the thing, which I... I don't know, like they didn't really show a lot of his moderation, but I wanted him to do a better job at it, you know? Um, again, I just felt like really great concept, really poor execution. I hope that part two is better. Must-see moment, Duke and Kook. Uh, my must-see moment is Jordy Smith in Mozambique, a clip that he released just before the Snapper event. Who? Uh, well, dude, <laughs> you watch this thing and tell me it's not the most radical surfing. Oh, I'm seen. sure it is. I'm sure it it's is. freaking ridiculous. Is Jordy Smith on tour? He is, man. And I almost put him on my team because Mozambique, he's surfing a kind of windswept right that reminds me a lot of Snapper. Um, and I, I mean, he surfs it in a way that I've never seen anybody surf that style of wave. So explosive, so powerful, so fast, so raw. Just unbelievable. Great surfer. Great surfer. And this generation's Taj Burrow. And I, I really greatest surfer to never get steroids. And so I, I go, wow, if he surfs Snapper like this, there's he's untouchable. Felipe can't do this. Yet he shows up at Snapper and blows it. So but he was crowned a world champion before he won a world title. That's the problem. And um, too much too, too soon. Too much too soon. So Watch this clip, though. I mean, forget about. We're not. I'm not even going to shame his competitive surfing. I'm going to make a. I'm going to make a. Um, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I'm not even going to shame his competitive surfing because it really almost, doesn't matter anymore. De- well, no, it devalues <laughs> what he's doing in his free surfing. Right. And I want to not do that at all. I just want to shine a light on the free surfing. Free surfing's insane. It's, it's insane. one of the best surfers in the world. None of us are doubting that. Yeah. I'm going to make a prediction. I bet by three quarters through this tour, at one point we hear an utterance from Jordy that says he doesn't care about winning a world title. Yep, I'm fine with that. I'm just. I believe it. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he turns it around. But yeah. I just get a sense that that he's probably like that's going to come out in frustration. I totally, think. I agree. Um, that those are the kinds of questions that Rosie Hodge and the, whoever these people are and these yeah. post eats interview. They need to get Jordy Smith after he just lost and go. What does this mean to your world title races? Are you focused? It seems as if you're not focused. Right. And it just really get him to. Those are the questions that need to be asked. Yeah, you know? totally. And it, it's not easy. Those are not easy questions to ask. No. You're um, going to be looked at as like the sourpuss in the equation, mm-hmm. even though those are questions that... But you'll be a fan favorite. Quite possibly. Yeah. All right. So my Duke, I'm going to pull first time ever for our Duke segment. The Duke is going to a surfing maneuver. <laughs> shuddy, that, is not, shuddy, that is not allowed don't for a guy who never provides a duke i have already provided my duke for the first time in like named, two years no, young man named felipe toledo so my duke let it be noted that probably the first brazilian i've ever named a duke most likely i love felipe and adriano you're not allowed to pronounce and Kaya, a brazilian Kaya Ibali. okay my duke, and italian ferrari and my, wiggly donuts i like all of them my duke the club sandwich the surfing maneuver that is also known as the rail grab nose pick reverse. It is the sickest turn in all of surfing. And we saw it in this event like a couple of times. And every time it blows my mind. Joanne DeFay did what's being called the very first one in women's surfing. Did you see hers? No. It was sick. It was so sick. I could not even fathom how to approach that turn. When I'm standing on a surfboard, I it, like it boggles my mind how to even approach it. She did one, and Joanne's surfing really well, by the way. Um, I was really I'm impressed. I'm going to set you two up on a date. You I Joanne would Defiant. love that. She's incredible, dude. What? No. So Stu Kennedy... Um, Stu Kennedy did a couple that were unbelievably fast and critical on his first section. Bottom turning into the first section, just boom, blow tail through the lip, upside down, reverse, spins out of it, goes into another turn. It's gnarly. So that's my Duke. That maneuver, every time I see it, blows my mind. Club sandwich. Do you get yours with whole wheat or with sourdough? I do mine with uh, straight up wonder white bread because it's tell a you wonderful what, maneuver. Let me tell you the greatest maneuver in surfing. Let's hear it. The bottom turn. Oh, Martin Potter, do enlighten me. <laughs> That's his favorite thing to say in the webcast over and over again. There's a reason. But I agree with you. No, undoubtedly. Uh, Mike you just th- said the greatest turns the club sandwich. How can you agree with me if I'm saying it's the bottom mm. turn? Actually, the greatest maneuver in surfing yeah, isn't a maneuver at all. It's called trimming through the tube. I agree with that. Now you've there's, agreed twice. There's, there's three th- greatest oh, in my book. Oh, my, my kook? Yes. <sighs> hate to do this to our listeners, but it's our listeners who occasionally think that I am you. They leave me horrible comments and emails bashing me for something that Scott Bass said, and I'm sick of it. What did I say that's so bad? Okay, I got a comment on the website. Uh, I'm gonna try to pull it up so I don't bash it. You're unprepared. Um, A comment blaming me for you (laughs) saying something, oh, I know what it was, about John John Florence. You were giving credit to the North Shore community uh-huh. for raising John John. Yes. And this comment was actually not accurate. Yeah. But 
saying like, hey man, you guys didn't give John's mom any credit. She raised him. She's the one who deserves all the credit. And I actually commented back to this commenter. I was like, actually, we love mom, John, and we've given her credit ad nauseum over the years, over and over and over again for doing such a phenomenal job. Scott's point wasn't to diminish mom John's role at all. It was additionally to acknowledge the community's you know, role in involvement in, yeah, his, in his upbringing. Involvement. Yeah. So it wasn't to diminish mom John because he's such a great young man. Totally. Like so the commenter actually misspoke by saying that, but they were Wait blaming. They were a attributing commentator it. on the internet misspoke. You got to be kidding me! It once in a while it happens. Oh my god! Once in a while they spew vitriol. You need to disable your comment section. <laughs> I love it, dude. So anyway, but they attributed it to me, and then he closed out by saying, "And while you're at it, spare us the effing Almond Brothers. It's 2016." I'm like. <laughs> Dude, I'm not even the one doing the Allman Brothers. That's also Scott. Uh, but I've gotten stuff in the I've gotten stuff in the past that have called me out tweets saying that I need to spread more love to Brazil. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? I love Brazil. Scott's the racist. Uh, oh my God. First of all, Brazil's not a race. Okay, it's a nation state. Okay, whatever. They just elected a new president because their economy is just going down the toilet. Anyways, the coops are listeners who think that I'm you. Uh, yeah. Send your hate mail to down the line radio. <laughs> I'm a lover, not a fighter. Okay, my kook is pro golfer, loudmouth, emotional victim Ian Poulter, who last week was heckled in a golf tournament and sought out the heckler, found out who he was. No way. Had the heckler fired from his job. No. So Ian way. Poulter, British golfer. Um, hated by North Americans for his vitriol during the Ryder Cup, has now um, is loud and emotional and sort of fiery. And when that fire is given back to him by fans at an event, he hunts them down and has them fired from their job. That's insane. Ian Poulter, that's weak. Do you know what that person's job was? Yeah, he worked at, um, I think, Florida State International as in the sporting department. He was... You know, some, I don't know, you know, Crazy. activities director for Florida State International or something. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. Bummer. Yeah. What a kook. Yeah. Well, Scott, it's been yeah. a wonderful show. I've missed you. So glad to be back <laughs> in your good graces. <laughs> what do you want me to say? I've missed you too. Is that is this what I'm supposed to I say? I need some love right now, oh, dude. I'm just feeling insecure Talk to your about wife. things, you know? Like, <laughs> How are things at home? Are things good? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, whatever. You might try shaving. That might help things All a little. Right. Um, yeah, okay. So until next time, we've got the Bells event coming up. Get your fantasy teams going because it oh, starts yeah. on March 24th, which is less than a week from now. Yeah. And there's some fantasy values out there. And I'm going to do really well this time. I've, I've moved my team around. I've heard that before. Yeah. Um, yeah, so fantasysurfer.com is where we play. The clubhouse is called Surf Splendor. If you want, you can join for free. There's like 330 people in the clubhouse now. But um, you can also wager if you want. And the rules for how to do so are on surfsplendorpodcast.com. There's a tab for Fantasy Surfer. 10 bucks per event, per division. So 10 bucks for the men, 10 bucks for the women. Winner takes all. We had um, Philosoraptor win the men's division, 190 bucks. He's won in the past. We've yeah. talked about him on the show. Yeah. And then in the women's side of the things, um, a brand new person named John Don't Surf's to go? Uppers. It's time to go. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the women's so, side of things. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. the women's pro surfing. I can't believe that there's people that... Anyway. 
Name three women surfers. I know them all. I'm all right. big fans all right. of all, all right. of them. All right. all right. I actually watch it. Right. I'm serious. Like, I'm into it. For the first time ever. But. Well, no, it's not. You know what? I watch them in Honolulu Bay. I watch them when the waves are good. Yeah. When the waves are crappy, I don't even watch the men. But if the waves are good, I'll watch. Okay. No um, Yeah. So, boardroomshow.com. You can go online now and get tickets for the show in advance and all the information about the show. David and I will do a rundown of what's going to be happening at the boardroom show um we're Whoops. excited to have uh, u.s blanks involvement in the icons of foam honoring jerry lopez and also in the young guns of shaping u.s blanks is putting on a big shaping bay and bringing in a lot of young kids that are going to be shaping and you're going to be able to learn how to shape so if you're interested in learning how to shape u.s blanks is presenting that as well it's most importantly scott and i will be there that's exactly we, right. we run into listeners come up and introduce themselves every time so. that's true All right, um, until next time, adios and aloha. Can we be there? Oh, just think of the time. And there you have it for another episode of Surf Splendor. Surfsplendorpodcast.com is where you find everything we discussed in this episode. It's also where you find every past episode archived entirely for free. 125 past episodes. That is, I mean, honestly... I don't know, 160 hours of content probably. I mean, more than that, 180, I'm not sure, but a lot of content is there for free. We also have a music archive. Every song every every song that's been in every episode is archived. There's a comment section. Feel free to leave a comment about today's show. You may be our kook of the week if you leave a crappy comment. Who knows? I might call you out. Generally, I don't, but um, anyway... Thank you for doing that. Thanks for engaging. This conversation does include you. It's not just Scott and I, so we're always thrilled to hear from you. Good, bad, or ugly. All right? We're also on social media at Surf Splendor if you want to give us a follow. It's an easy way to tag your friends and stuff and share our show that way. All right? Uh, Enjoy bells. I'll see you shortly, or I'll talk to you shortly after the start of that. Until then, definitely get out in the water, catch a couple waves, and shred on. Or just standing in the rain Mean what you said Oh, and mean it to me All of these lies Oh, and never again Come on and say And now say it's again I know it's on to say it matters a little, babe Oh, but come on and mean it to me I need it so bad Oh, mean it to me I need it so bad